Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. On today's episode, we're joined by Sari Ibrahim. And Sari, thank you for joining me on this podcast. And I know that you're part of the financial protection. You're the founder of that uh, financial institution. And I wanted to really have you on the podcast to, to elaborate more on just financial tools and habits and routines. And as a start, can you give us a little bit of background of, of what got you into founding your own financial company and also why that really captured your interest? Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Eric, for having me on. Uh, yes, I run a company, like you mentioned, it's called Financial Asset Protection. So we're a financial services firm. We do a lot of a lot more like financial coaching um, and financial advising in all 50 states. It's all done you know, over, over the phone or over Zoom, whatever the client prefers. And the reason why I got into this space and specifically started this company was I've always been a fan of like money and not just money, but how to get it, how to and solve the problems around. I think that a lot of problems that people have revolve around financial concerns. Like if you think about a lot of um, the way people feel about their work, the way they feel about relationships, friendships, where they're currently at in life tends to revolve a lot around money. And that could be directly or indirectly. It could be consciously or subconsciously, meaning that it's somehow, somewhere, some way always there. And I think that a lot of, and as I was going to school and you know, I got my MBA and I was learning a lot about money that way, not so much about it, about 10% of the things I'm using today are actually from my MBA, the 90% are from real world experience. And I think that a lot of it is due to the lack of knowledge, not the lack of money. Mm-hmm. So that's important to note that it's about the lack of knowledge, not the lack of money when it comes to financial problems. So what does that mean? Like, you know, what, what kind of knowledge do you need to have about money? And I think that a couple of things is, you know, one is, you need to have, uh, you need to be financially self-aware. You need to know your numbers very well, know where you're at, know where you want. And then number two, you need to know where you want to go, your objectives. And the objectives is really important because you need to have a clear vision of what you want to do, not what other people want you to do. Yeah. So again, to make those distinctive things. So I, you know, dove into this subject and I really enjoy talking to people about money. I'm very comfortable talking to people about money. And then people are also very comfortable talking to me about their money. Yeah, that's why I want to be on your show to talk about financial concepts and strategies and I'm glad to be here. Yeah, that's a really big one. And and like I mentioned to you, the age group is roughly around my age, mid-20s or so. And I think it's one of those areas that it, it feels weird to mm-hmm. set up for your financial future in some sense. Like you have to make these long-term decisions that feel strange or foreign to just the our brains as m- monkeys who are not very good at long-term planning. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have to make that little noise in the back of your head, stop talking <laughs> a lot of times. And um, yeah, like just for full disclosure, I, I use a service called Wealthfront to manage all of my stock portfolios and things like that. Because if, if you just play that kind of diversified portfolio over time, even if you start at only $500 in your account and you add 100 a month in 30 years, that'll get you somewhere. And, and then that's assuming the rules or the trend that's been going on for probably the last 30, 40 years that you get about 10% return on average, year over year, you're, you'll definitely make more money, at least in the sense of having a savings account, because the savings account interest rates are just abysmal and have been <laughs> like that for a long time. And so that's like my kind of general financial baseline. But beyond that, I don't have too much like experience with it. And I would just say, what is like maybe the top one or two pitfalls for maybe young people or just people in general 
that to help them break up maybe a bad habit? And then what would you recommend just at really high level? We're not, I'm not trying to give make advice, but like yeah, yeah, commonalities. Yeah. So common things that I see is that your money is too accessible, meaning that it's too easily reachable. And that could be a good thing. It can be a bad thing, right? It could be good because obviously like we want that. We want to be able to tap into our money whenever we need it. But it's also, but at the same time, it's also bad because of our human nature, our human qualities, like you mentioned, we have a lot of like these tendencies that when it comes to money, I think like human nature and money don't really go together. We have to like unlearn certain things about ourselves to learn more about money. And I think that, you know, and this is something like a lot of the things that I talk about on podcasts, especially like on our show, Thinking Like a Bank and one of my guests on other shows, it's about what I'm learning from other clients who are really successful and really wealthy. And a lot of the reason why they're wealthy is because it's not because of the money they have, but because of the skills they have and the habits. And one habit I see a lot of successful people have is that they create intentional obstacles around their money. Like they'll say, for example, I'm going to invest money in the stock market, or I'm going to put money in a life, a cash flow, life insurance policy, or somewhere else, not necessarily for the potential investment return, but so that way it's out of their hands. Right. That way it's not sitting in their bank account and it's not easily accessible because if it's in their bank account, they're going to spend it on stuff that they don't really need and want. Rather, if they take it out of their control and already allocate it somewhere else, it's technically gone for that short period of time. They can still get it back later. They could sell, they could trade their account, they could do something else to get their money back. But in that given moment, it's, it gives you the illusion that it's gone and you want that. Yeah. So in other words, you want these obstacles where you're creating between you and your money. You don't want your money to be super accessible and always right under your debit card or quick pay or right in your mobile app. You want it to be a little bit more distant from you and your money. Now, that's one thing I see. If you can solve that one thing, then a lot of other things after that will be much easier financially. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, a fluid dynamics thing, but it's path of least resistance. So mm -hmm. if you have basically Amazon, my, my brain immediately jumped to Amazon with the one-click payment, where yeah, yeah. all you have to do is just go on there. Well, I want this thing. I'm going to go click that button and I'm good. And <laughs> like that pushes all of our right buttons, at least in our brain of feeling good about making a decision, but it's not good in the sense of if you're trying to have some sort of financial goal and, um, like one of the things I think this was from a podcast with Naval Ravikant. He gave this advice about if you really want to like an object or, or something, he recommended that if to try and see if you really wanted it or need it, you give yourself a 24 hour rule yeah. where you would put it in your cart or something like that, but you don't pay for it until 24 hours later. And if you mm -hmm. still really wanted the thing, then you can buy it because clearly it has some sort of value beyond just the immediate moment because it's like it, the other aspect of this is like behavioral economics. It's if you thinking about something or it pops in your head, you're more likely to make a decision right away that you will more likely regret later because it's not really practical or necessary. It's just because our monkey brains just like things. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're so right, man. Exactly. I think that it's important to create your our own systems. For example, if you're going to buy something above $500 or above $1,000, create some like algorithms. If it's greater than 500, then I use a template. Go to the template, fill in the template. What is it that you want? How much does it cost? What are the pros of it? What are the cons of it? How do you get it? Is it going to be shipped to you? Do you have to go get it? What kind of service? Is it product service? What is it? And then maybe even add, like you said, like 24 hours to that before executing upon that. And I think that if you start thinking that way, you see like what you start to see a surplus of capital yeah. in your life if you start thinking that way.
I, one of the funny things that I, I joke around with my friends is I, I convert large purchases into Chipotle burritos. <laughs> so I, it's just like a, a weird little mental math. I'm like, okay, if I divide this by eight, whatever it happens to be, that's how many Chipotle. I'm like, is that going to, does that give me as much satisfaction as that quantity of Chipotle burritos? That's smart. <laughs> get me. And if the answer is yes, then I'm like, okay, fine then. <laughs> so Chipotle is your index. <laughs> yeah. So, awesome. you know, funny little mental tricks like that to help you kind of put things in context. I think, I guess maybe that's the other one, right? Knowing, I remember my dad would say, he's like knowing the value of a dollar, whatever mm -hmm. that means to you. But I think we all have to create that mental framework for what a dollar means to you and because i don't know if you're one to travel so much but i've been seeing it a lot more in in the my age group of people who want to travel more and there's this kind of digital nomad thing that's really yeah exploding sure. more i would i would say it's been around for a long time now but it's definitely evolving more rapidly where more people think it's accessible to them because of this you know post-pandemic world with remote work being a thing and it, it makes me think about, because I feel like this financial freedom thing and then also working slash living where you want to is that goes hand. And I'm not sure if it really depends. I'm not sure if it matters about being a billionaire or something. I think it's more yeah. about being self-sufficient to a point where you can, you know, live and do the things you want on your own time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's actually, that's one of the reasons why I got into this space is so that way I could do it pretty much virtually. Like I mentioned earlier, I could do this. I could help clients in all 50 states as long as we have a phone or Zoom. And you're right. Yeah, I think that this whole digital nomad space is definitely, I remember two years before COVID, I was on an airplane with a guy and we were flying back from the, just a random guy next to me sitting on the plane. And he was talking to me about like how he's doing a lot of trading online and he's gotten to the point where he doesn't need to work anymore. He just has to just spend four or five hours a day on a computer wow. and that's it. He can work anywhere in the world. And he was actually coming back to the States, but then like another month after that, he was going to leave to like Japan or something like that. And he's, I will never get a job in my life ever again. I'll never get a W2 job ever again. I, I rather just keep doing this. And then I was thinking like, this is literally two years before COVID. I was thinking, I was like, I wonder if this is going to happen more often in the future. And then yeah. COVID happened. And then it's true. So right now in the United States, we're in something called the great resignation rate. So I think it's like 4 million people have already quit their jobs to do entrepreneurship and to be digital nomads. So I think that's awesome. I think that's a growing trend. And I think it's definitely way more possible now than it is that it was 10 years ago to do this. Yeah. I think about that a lot just because of the way with... Maybe it's just decentralization of everything. Yeah. Like the the internet and our phones have gotten to this point where they're so powerful and they they yeah. give so much agency to individuals to be able to spend the time the way they want to. Our podcast in general is a prime example of people being able to subvert giant media organizations and provide information that's not overly scripted or too much top down control. It's all bottom yes. up. It just yes. allows you to improve the some total knowledge of, of what's available. You don't even need to go to school. Like you said, you went get got an MBA. The MBA kind of gets you in the door and not teaches yeah. you what the things you need to know. Like most of what you learn is is when you're rolling up your sleeves and getting your hands dirty. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I'm a mm -hmm. very prime believer of that just from my background as an engineer and then also doing this show. Like 90% of what I know is because of I just done it. <laughs> and, and it's one of those things that I think it, when it like circling back to the finance side of this is I think part of what stops people is, is they don't know where to start in some sense. Like they, it has this 
uneasy feeling. I think people get really risk averse when it says something about finance. Even for me, I'm, I come from a very Midwestern household and telling my parents I own stocks and things like that. And they're like, you gotta be careful with your money. It's very like old school <laughs> ideas, which is you gotta, gotta break those patterns j to create new ones in a lot of ways, because there's just pressure from all sides of, you know, what you should do, right? The, the should in quotes, I think about yeah. like the shoulds in life. Whenever I hear shoulds, then I pause and wait, hold on. Where is that coming from? What script are you running here? <laughs> yeah, Eric, you're right. Yeah, the word should comes from a belief system. So when I tell you, for example, Eric, you should go to college, I'm actually saying, Eric, I believe that people go to college. Like, in other words, I'm conveying a belief system when I say the word should. So I think that could be problematic, especially I think in the financial setting, there has to be, there's a distinction between conventional wisdom and unconventional wisdom. So conventional wisdom is you go to, you go to college, you get a job, you save from your job, you get a pension. And then from some of that, you have a 401k or IRA. You go to your local banker where you need help with financial stuff, and then you have a financial advisor. That's a conventional route. The unconventional route is you're doing things that may seem to be like almost unacceptable, but they have, I think, a little bit more logic to them. Stock market, I think that it's a good place to invest your money, but personally, I don't think it's the best place to put your money. I think there are different ways to do that, and I think those different places like cash value life insurance or in real estate, passive real estate deals or active real estate deals, I think those could be seen as unconventional, but at the same time, I'm not going to stop myself from pursuing those investments or other alternative investments because they're not, they don't fit within society's, society's mindset or, or belief system. So uh, a lot of people just want to stay within the lanes because they think that's the right thing to do. But reality, if you think about it, Eric, that a lot of people, for example, teachers, professors, parents, they're not financial <laughs> experts. Why should we, why should we listen to people who are just older than who don't have the financial wisdom needed? Nothing against them, but at the same time, you want to take advice from the right people and, and make sure you're implementing actual financial decisions. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. There's so much expertise required in modern society that we tend to undervalue people we don't personally yeah. know. Like we will tend to, you know, lean into the people that we're close to or around, at least I'll cite the example of the last probably six to eight months as the cryptocurrency world has exploded into this basically somewhat of a stock market 2.0. And yeah. it's been weird to see so many people who were not into it ever at all, not really techie in the sense of really understanding what any of it was but still jumping on the game. And I'm just like, you really don't, this could be very bad for you just because you're jumping on the hype train. You, you know what I mean? I'm not a very big fan of just jumping on something because everyone else is doing it. I'm very, much more on the, I would rather learn about it myself first and make an ed educated decision rather than follow the, follow yes. the flow of people. Because mm -hmm. in, in reality, just going with the current, it will, typically unless you're within the you know early adopter group if you just go with the flow it's typically too late when it goes mainstream yeah exactly i think did ray dahlia mention that in his book i think principles he, he might have 
Yeah. I, I don't remember where I heard this. I, I feel like I've heard yeah. it on a couple of podcasts. Maybe it was Ray Dalio on a podcast, but I, I remember just if you're not early, then you're late or something like that. I've always just held that to heart, especially when it comes to Bitcoin, because it's something yes. that's so tech savvy and it's probably been bubbling in Silicon Valley for 10 years by now. And that the fact yes. that it's mainstream today means that you've missed the early boat. <laughs> like you, you might sure. be able to gain something in the long term, but you got to really be okay with losing all of that if you really want to double down or go all in in some sense. Yeah, exactly. That's why I, I recommend whatever is, can go up super easily can also go down super easily. You know what I'm saying? There's volatility on both ways. So I think that like I, I personally want to do more investments that are going to be safer, more sound, more long-term. This is what we help our clients with mostly. We really don't do any like high-risk investments or things like that. So I think that's why I'm not I'm not a crypto specialist. I just see it as I've, I've bought some Bitcoin. They've got up in value over the years. And that's fine. It's okay. I'll probably just hang on to them. But yeah. I don't really see myself. I don't really see myself like doing more. And it's definitely like a personal preference. For yeah, sure. I think that's. I think that's a safe way to look at it. Just at least until you know things get more. It goes against the the, the ethos of Bitcoin. But until things get more regulated, then or at least to curb some of the volatility. I think that's what happens when new ideas show up, or at least philosophies. I think Bitcoin mm -hmm. or crypto is a philosophy in the very early stages. And it still has to work itself out into how does that fit for everyone? Like, I think that's the the hardest thing, I think, for people to really realize is that everybody has a different way of viewing their financial tolerance or financial risk and just working within the boundaries that you're comfortable within. I think that's the thing that most people don't realize because we see all these people and say, wow, look at them. They go on these crazy cruises, right? You have instagram nowadays that you can see the highlight reel of people's lives but at the end of the day you don't really you don't know what it takes to like actually live that life even though you may want to live that life for a day or something and i think having that understanding that sure that maybe that person's life is is all stars and glitter and whatnot but you have to realize that might not be your version of happiness or, or yes. something like that I'm stumbling over my words on how to phrase it the best way. Yeah, you're so right. Exactly. Like you, I, I think that over, especially with social media, we've been given like, we've been given like, like a framework of what happiness could look like. You do this, these patterns and then you'll find happiness. And this is how a lot of like problems I think happen, especially the way we lead self-esteem and things like that because of social media and because we're trying to follow these things. Well, really it's important to find financial freedom. It's really important to identify your unique goals. Like yeah. things that matter to you and then take your time and go within them. For example, if it's you want a million dollars, then take it to the next step. What would you use that money for? And then whatever you say, all right, okay, now what, why that? And you keep going and you keep like uh, going within different layers of yourself. And then you find, and then when you find, you know, when you keep going, I think it's like number seven, when you go to the seventh why into something, that's when you figure out the truth of it. So like you keep going why all the way down to seven. When you figure out that seventh why, then maybe you actually don't need the one million dollars to get there. You might need <laughs> other things. So take your time with these whys and identifying your objectives. I do say at least like once a week. Actually, uh, so I do the big whys once a week, but I do on a, every single day. I have something called a priority recap. So since I'm self-employed, I don't have a boss or I have a supervisor. I have to supervise other people. So I they're there. It can be very easy for me just to be like, hey, you know what? I don't want to do this job anymore. And then nothing could happen. Like nothing would happen. Maybe my clients would be, oh, that's about it, really. That's a big deal. But I, I thought I can get fired. So I have to figure out ways to stay focused, to stay motivated. And I have something called a priority recap. So every day I prioritize my top, like biggest tasks and the biggest objectives I have. And then the tasks within those objectives. So that way, if somebody calls me and says, hey, I have this new opportunity, a new job or a new thing, 
it's already, by the time I get that new opportunity, I've already denied it or declined it because I'm too focused on what I'm actually building. And I think that you want to have these, these certain ways of being able to stay on track, both in your professional life and in your financial life. So stay on top of your goals, make sure you're outlining them a lot. I think one big problem people do is they write their goals like once, that's it, one time. They write their goals, they, they can't even go back and find them after that. Like where they put them in a Google doc somewhere or on a Word document on the computer yep. or wrote it in a notebook and it's gone and it shouldn't be gone. It should be like a, a living document. That you're constantly opening and, and reviewing and then it's okay to adjust it. It's okay to modify it. It's okay as you're progressing. But I think that it's the process definitely over result factor. I immediately go to workout routines and things like yeah. that. I, I compare a lot of these ideas to like long-term planning for health in general. And mm -hmm. a lot of times what I think what people, what happens is people set a goal. New Year's is coming right around the corner. They set New Year's resolutions and within three months, most people quit. And I think a lot of times what, what winds up happening, at least with like large long-term or lifetime yes. goals, they get squishy real quick yes. where, where you say, oh, I, I, I hit a stressful day. I'm going to eat pizza today or whatever. Like you, you were really good at rationalizing to ourselves <laughs> the things we should, like we really don't want to be doing, but we know we should. And I think having this ability to, I guess the, the fancy quote is what, what is measured gets managed. Yes. And that is it works in just about every domain <laughs> and so it's so good to to hear that especially talking about the digital man nomad space and i think most people could say that right if, especially if you're traveling around the world or you could be working wherever you want and you could be totally captured in the moment rather than working and you got to be really aware of that because it's almost like it's like an opportunity that you have to manage yourself but almost in no other point in time have so many had to learn how to manage themselves and possibly others. It's a weird world because we're not used to that, at least being able to delay gratification in some sense, right? Like you could take an off day on a, a random Monday, Tuesday, just because you don't want to. You cancel all your clients. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It's much harder to manage yourself than it is to, like, it's easy to be managed. It's easy. Like a lot of people, I think that when you go to school and then college yep. and then you get a job, you're in this mindset, this routine of already, you really don't have to completely think of all your outcomes. A lot of things have already been laid out for you. And this is why a lot of people prefer to work in companies than to be entrepreneurs because the, the path has already been set. Everything's already been set. And that's fine with that. But entrepreneurs have to like, like it's completely on your own. You have to manage yourself and then manage other people. And it's almost like when you're, when you, when I first became an entrepreneur, it was like, you, you get to see a whole other side of yourself. Wow. <laughs> I could be really lazy in certain ways. So yeah, definitely. Um, but I think that it makes it easier when you have systems in place and you yeah. have some certain ways. And then I completely forgot to, I completely forgot to mention mentors and coaches. That's a huge part of success being an entrepreneur and not even just being entrepreneur, but just being self-motivated. If, if you want to accomplish something, go out and get a coach or a mentor, somebody who's already done it, somebody yeah. who's way ahead of you. And somebody who's really good at mentoring and coaching, who's good at teaching certain things and helping you find like your inner self that like the, the power within yourself, that'll, that'll, you could, I think in my opinion, you can accomplish anything with a coach or a mentor. So did you have any mentors or possibly teachers that kind of pushed you to this like choice of life path? Like you said, you went to, you got at least an MBA. So you went through a lot of school and then some, and then you decided that going the safe route of probably joining a firm, it wasn't the, wasn't in your card. So wh where did that inciting incident happen for you? 
Yeah, I just got lucky. I met a lot of awesome people. And yeah, everything I've done is because of coaches and mentors. So my first mentor was my first boss who was self-employed. And he encouraged me right away to be, become self-employed. And then I also hired coaches on my own, like just through like private companies. That was also really impactful. And then now I have a mentor now who's in the same place, place, space as me. And he's, he also got me into podcasting, got me to do my own show, got me to take my business to the next level. And I'll always, for sure, I know that for sure, even if I become like a billionaire, I'll also have a mentor for sure. So I think that it's the best ROI. It's the best return on investment to get out, to get a mentor. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't just have to be for, for entrepreneurship. It could be for a mentor for financial, for finance, like somebody who's going to mentor you to get to your financial goals, or it could be sports-wise or at, like, for example, being an athlete, getting to your health goals. So like, it could be anything that you want to accomplish. You would get a coach or a mentor for that. And for sure, I think it's the best ROI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I think it's one of those things that having someone who's impartial to yes. the way you see yourself, like it's, it's really easy for you to have friends. You ask your friends for advice, but they already like you. So they're going to yeah. tell you the thing you want to hear most of the time. Uh, yes. <laughs> Unless you have a very different friend group, then the, you know, they'll call you on your bullshit. But, <laughs> yeah, yes. mm-hmm. but for the most part, your friends are still going to be your friends even when you need them not to be your friend. <laughs> and so keeping someone who's accountable or having someone who's impartial or impartial enough to tell you what's going on or see it without rose-colored glasses, I think is really important. And just backing up to, you mentioned your podcast a couple times, but I wanted you to elaborate on what do you talk about on your podcast? I listened to a couple of your episodes before we had recorded here, but I just want to let you explain it for yourself. Yeah, so the podcast is called Thinking Like a Bank. And the the root of the podcast, the objective of it is to help people think like a bank using the same strategies and principles that banks use. So like over the years, from the MBA part to working with clients, to working on the different concepts, like the infinite banking concept and all these different concepts we work with, I'm learning that like banks, a lot of banks are the usually the, the number one users of these concepts. And I'm thinking like, why is that? It's because they probably have a lot of money and they need to be able to manage a lot of money. So with the, the whole managing money part comes a lot of thinking principles and thinking strategies. Like, what if we could uncover those strategies? And what if we could, we can, the everyday person could actually apply these strategies? That's where the show comes from. That's where the show, that's the intention of the show. So we've done episodes about tax savings, about tax credits, how to save for the future, about how to make more money as an entrepreneur, marketing, the real estate strategies, active real estate investing, passive real estate investing, how to start a fund, how to private equity fund. You know, it's so many different aspects of money when it comes to saving and growing it over time. And again, just applying those same strategies and principles that banks do. We just launched episode 35 a couple of days ago, and we had a weekly episode that goes out every Wednesday. It's called Thinking Like a Bank. Sweet. Sounds good. And I'll make sure to have link in the show notes for that. And so people can go find that and check it out if that's what they want. The big thing here, I think, just moving on is we've already talked about mentors, a ton of entrepreneurship. The, the only other thing I, that screams at me, at least on the financial side, is... What would you recommend for someone who's hesitant or not sure like where to start? Because I think it's it's once you can get in the mindset of managing yourself, at least on a financial aspect, like anything else, I feel like just starting anything new 
is just really hard because people yeah. don't want to be bad at something because being yes. bad at something just doesn't feel good. And so what would be like your recommendations for someone to ease into something, maybe not reaching out for a coach because that usually has some sort of like monetary thing. So that might mm -hmm. dissuade people from making that level of commitment just yet. But until once they've figured out the waters a little bit and make sure it's not gonna, <laughs> they're not gonna drown. I think that's when they can reach out to someone like you. So where do you recommend someone goes to get started? Yeah, so I recommend, so there's actually the whole coaching part. There's actually a lot, there are a lot of free coaches out there. They'll give like a free session, like a one hour session for free or a 30 minute session for free. I would leverage those. And then that'll also do two things. One, it'll give you a better idea of who to potentially work with. And two, it'll give you some, like even if it's a one hour free consultation, like you'll get something out of it. You'll get more than you actually learn going into that call. So one basic thing I would do is like, you could even reach out to us. We give free consultations. So we could take a look at some of your financials and give you a free, uh, a couple free uh, consultations. And if it's something you want to proceed with in the future, we can definitely figure out ways to help you accomplish your financial goals in a very minimal way. So it's not like you have to pay upfront, like day one, you have to start paying upfront for coaching. So I think that would give you an initial high ROI just for this, just for reaching out and just for going to like a free consultation. And then if you're not ready for that yet, Definitely, there's so many podcasts and YouTube videos and books out there. There's a book, it's, a, it's called Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash. It's a really good book. A lot of real estate investors use it and entrepreneurs and a way to take back control of your financial life for you to be the bank, for you to take out the banks out of your life and for you to be the actual bank. Mm -hmm. um, not a literal bank, but more of the banking principles. Yeah. Um, it's called Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash. And if you reach out to us, if you send me an email, I'll send you a free copy of the book through electronically. So that would be a good step too. You can just read that book for free, under, get a better idea of it, and then reach out to us once you're ready for any questions or anything that you want. And then if you don't have to go through us, there's other people too that do this. You just Google financial coaches, free sessions. You can reach out to people for free. Um, and then even if you are serious about hiring an actual financial coach, I would interview like five of them. I'll have your criteria, what you're mm -hmm. looking for, interview like five of them through the consultation, the free consultations, and then pick the best one you want out of those. Cool. Yeah, I think that's really helpful for people just to at least provide a framework for what yeah. they can start basing off this on because it's, it's it's a nebulous world in some sense. There's mm -hmm. acronyms and jargon and all that stuff. But I think most people just get afraid. You know, I just think about tax season where everyone just dreads it <laughs> and they don't want to do it and they don't want to do it wrong. It's like they have to think about that more than once a year kind of thing. Um, I think that's really helpful. Do you have any other books either in the financial space or books that like you really just enjoyed that helped change your thinking? Yeah. Um, the Richest Man in Babylon. Okay. It's a good book. And we just we mentioned Ray Daly's book, Principles. That's a really good book. But that's a book about, I think it's a good, like life book. It's yeah. On a bunch of other stuff. And then what else? I'm looking around right now. Um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Okay. Yeah. That's that's right. That one's recommended a bunch. <laughs> yeah. That's good. I've heard many of those. That's the first one I have not heard before. So that's cool. And again, these will all be in the show notes for people so they can go check those out. We, since we're getting close to our cutoff here, I'm going to ask a couple like more rapid fire questions. Yeah. The one I really like to introduce is for young people who maybe just getting out of college or they're either looking to change or pivot, just given the circumstances, what advice would you recommend to them in this changing climate for them to jump into something? Yeah, think like a bank. Remember, you don't want to just think like a consumer, think like a borrower, but think like a bank. Think much larger than you actually, not actually are, but think much, expand your mind and expand it in different ways that you don't, that you probably didn't even think was possible. Because the reason why I say this, Eric, is that you get what you think about. 
So if you're thinking about bigger things, you're going to be more likely to achieve those bigger things. And if you think about if you reduce your goals, then you're going to actually reduce your outcomes. I like it. It's thinking long-term rather than short-term, right? Yes. <laughs> it's a great way. I, I, I thought, I think about it a lot, at least because of technology. I, I really enjoy technology that's going to change the world or shape mm-hmm. the future. And my, one of my biggest issues at companies or, or smaller think about quarters, return on investment in, for Q1 or Q2. And I think a lot of times we really need to expand our scope. What, what is winning in five years look like, not in the next four months? Yes, it, yes. Because a lot of times those are the things that are actually going to move the needle in the grand scheme of things rather than making an extra 3% in revenue uh, this quarter. Yeah, exactly. Long, yeah, yeah that's so, so much better long term for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is more of a personal question. In the last maybe two years since COVID has really sh- shaken up everything, but yes. do you have any beliefs or habits that you've changed that have impacted the quality of your life? Oh, yeah, definitely. Even before COVID, I was still working from home just because of the area I'm in. But definitely after COVID, it became 100% work from home. Yeah. And I had to change a lot of the things like that, you know, what I do. Like, for example, I have to figure out ways to be more active during the day. Since I'm sitting in an office all day long, literally eight, nine hours at a time, I had to figure out more habits like working on before work to give, build more momentum, build more energy before thinking of different ways to take care of yourself more health-wise for sure, since you're sitting a lot more and you're not going that much. And now you have to also think about like mental health too. Like you're at home all day. I'm married. So my wife works and she's a nurse. Um, So for the most part, like this is a huge problem after COVID happened. A lot of people are spending a lot of time alone, you know, at home. So that can have a huge toll on people's mental health. So you have to figure out ways to like keep yourself occupied, keep yourself busy, keep yourself interacting with people. Definitely for sure change a lot of habits. I think the whole world is different. Now I think it's safe to say that there was a pre-COVID world and a post-COVID world. Very much so. And I think those, I think a lot of those things, what you just said is very front of brain for more people than it ever has been, which to me, I'm really excited about because I built this podcast off of ideas of those long-term well-being mm-hmm. type of ideas. And I, it's in a, it's a, and it's going to sound morbid in some ways, but it's like a good thing. It's, a, <laughs> it's like a good thing has happened in some sense, but it's also bad because there's is loss of life that can't be understated in any sense. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. Yeah, there was unfortunately, like there were some good things that happened, like the whole technology advancement stuff. But at the same time, the actual disease was terrible. And yeah, it's unfortunate what happened to people. But as far as I think the way they reacted, a lot of it, there were some benefits from it. And I think that this is, and it's not meant to say that COVID was a good thing. It's meant to say that with every problem in life, there's some opportunities that come from that. So like, in other words, you want to be optimistic and you want to be able to see a positive in certain ways of things. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's, I think, learning to be optimistic in any sense, like flexing that muscle of optimism, especially with how much negativity in general Mm -hmm. and our just our biases in our brain to just be (laughs) negativity bias. I think it's more important that we try to look for the silver linings or or the ways to grow from Mm -hmm. our failures. And that's why I I like bringing up when you change your habits or routines, right? Like it's some, in some sense, you're killing a previous version of yourself to create something new. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, we're, since we're really close to our cutoff here, I want to just ask where can people connect with you? And again, we'll have this in the show notes anywhere else on the internet. Yeah, so the best way to connect with us is you can go to our website. It's finassetprotection.com, F-I-N, asset, A-S-E-T, 
finassetsprotection.com, finassetsprotection.com. You can schedule a free appointment there. You could email me from there. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find our YouTube channel, our podcast, all from the website, finassetsprotection.com. Sweet. I will make sure that I have a link in the show notes so people can easily find that. And uh, sorry, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing some of what you know and your experiences with us. Thanks, Eric. See you later. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. And as always, I'd love to hear from you. And I really just want to make this podcast the best podcast you listen to. Meaning, if there's anything that you really enjoyed or any feedback for us, I would love for you to reach out on the social medias. You can find Feeding Curiosity across LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram in the usual places just by searching Feeding Curiosity. You can also send us an email or a message through the website. You can also support the work that we're doing here, including the podcast and all other content that we produce at Feeding Curiosity by either going to anchor.fm slash feeding curiosity slash support, or you can head over to the website and hit the support button and support us directly there as well. By supporting the podcast, you effectively keep us from having to deal with sponsorship and keeping the relationship that me and you, the listener, have as honest and open as possible. As for me, I take the idea of selling products and or sponsoring products very, very serious. Honestly, I just want to provide access to information to as many people as possible with as little of a barrier of entry as possible. At the very least, if you want to do anything to support the podcast, leave a review on the platform of choosing to subscribe, like, rate it, all of that. It helps out a ton. Again, thank you all for listening and I hope you join in on the next episode.